0: That it's not what we do. It's not the efforts that we put in. It's what Christ accomplished for us. Not just in the cross, but in the incarnation. He came. He he was born. He came and took the form of flesh. And yes, he paid the price on the cross of Calvary. And he was buried. And three days after, praise the Lord, he arose again. Praise Jesus. And when he arose again, when he arose again, he was with his followers for six more weeks. Then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And guess what? We await his second advent. His glorious return for us, for the bride, the church. And so my dear friends, with that thought in mind, let us open up our our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And we just have gotten done with this beautiful Christological hymn, very theological, um, beautiful reminder of who Christ is. And the doxology that that includes of praise and glory and exaltation. The affirmation of Christ is supreme. Christ is preeminent above all things. that we notice how he is preeminent and supreme throughout the whole created order. And last week, even to the dimensions of salvation, redemption. And today... We want to focus a little bit more on what that means by considering the, the, the topic of the results of reconciliation. What does that mean that we have been reconciled to God? And I believe Paul begins to unpack that for us. And and now what many people believe that we started this lengthy prayer back in verse 3, this prayer of thanksgiving, and he was thanking God for for the the power of, of the gospel, the message, the transformation that was produced in the life of these believers in Colossae. And so then he went into this Christological... Uh, um, hymn that many believe was a tradition, an early primitive Christian tradition of the church back then. Whatever you land in that, whether you believe it was a, a, a hymn, a, a, a early Christianity or Christian hymn or not, it's a beautiful affirmation, again, of highly, what we would call in theology, Christology. Okay, the theology of Christ. And so now, we're jumping into this new uh, thought here, and let's read together uh, what verse 21 has to tell us, and we're going to read all the way to chapter 2, verse 3, and it reads like this, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God, has, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone maturing Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter two, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Lodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And friends, once again, this is the word of the Lord for us today. Amen. So as I thought about this, and that's a lot to unpack in about the minutes that we have left to, 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 to listen to God's word together. However, let me provide you with three thoughts that I had as I was struggling and wrestling with this text and really just trying to, to allow the Lord to speak to my heart that I may share. And, and finally, that you would be built up and encouraged in Christ. So here we go. Let's look at the first one. First key that I found here is that reconciliation includes our past alienation from God should inform our present position in Christ. And what is that present position in Christ? Holy, blameless, and get a load of this, above reproach. Huh, kind of sounds like the qualifications we give for elders, huh? (laughs) Well, guess what? You're all there now. Why? Take a look at the text with me. Let's, Let's process this together and allow the word of God to really instill in us the important truth of what Christ did for us when Jesus reconciled us to God. And, and again, we're going to consider the word reconciliation as a, as a pie through, as a fly by, um, as I, I defined that through the Westminster's Confession of Faith and how did those uh, early church fathers viewed reconciliation, and we just continue to build upon that. But again, notice first of all, here in verse 21, one little word, one little word, and how significant is one little word? It's a conjunction. So therefore, you have all this Christological hymn starting in verse 15 all the way through verse 20, and then in verse 21, he tacks on this one little conjunction, and he adds it and says, and. So he's building up or building on the importance of the Christology that we have as believers And then he's going to add the rest of this for us to consider and keep building our faith on. And so he says, and you, not you individual, but you, the Colossian church, and believers who are now reading this this letter, he says, and you who once were alienated. My friends, uh, some scholar called uh, Ephesians and Colossians twin sisters. Because when you read Ephesians, this is very similar uh, language that Paul is writing. For example, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11. And then he starts unpacking how our condition before Christ was. You were alienated. You were so far from God. You weren't even people of promise. You did not have God in the world. In fact, you lived in this world without God. That's a pretty bleak picture. But this is what he's saying here. You who were once alienated, and notice the descriptions he's adding here, hostile, doing evil deeds. So what does alienated mean? You were alienated from God. You were alienated from God's family. You were alienated from fellowship with God. You were alienated from harmony with God. And it doesn't stop there. It says that, we were hostile in our thinking and actions. Our minds, our actions toward God were rebellious, were uh, defiance. were in opposition to God. Our actions, our behavior, our rebellious actions, our fornication, our uncleanness, our passion, our anger, our covetousness. Our wrath, our malice, everything contrary to what God had commanded, we were against. Boy, that's a lot. This text offers us so much. But again, look how Paul would describe this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses one 2 and 12, for example, Ephesians 1, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That was our state before Christ. That was our, our position. We were alienated and we were dead. We were dead men walking. Hollywood didn't come up with that. We did. Humanity, right? And then verse 2, it says, in which you used to live. This is very interesting because when you were alienated from God, you used to live that way. You used to live according to the desires and the passions of your flesh, the hostility of your mind, the, de- the evil actions and deeds that we would practice. You used to live. Look what uh, Ephesians 2.12 tells us. It says, remember that at a time you were separate from Christ. You were separated. Uh, again, in, in uh, Ephesians 4, verses uh, 18 and 19, it says they, so this is a description of those without Christ. They were darkened in their understanding and separated from the life God of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. That is a very bleak situation before we were reconciled to God. We were full-blown sinners, dead men walking, the living dead. However, if you look at verse 22 back in Colossians, it tells us, he has now... It's that beautiful word. I, I, like, I like Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 13, the big but word. But now. <laughs> Glory to God, right? But now. But here he doesn't say but now. Here in, in, in Colossians 1.22 he says, But he has now reconciled in his body of flesh in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Now, let's, let's sit on that just for a minute here, okay? Well, first of all, he has reconciled us to God. We're going we're to consider reconciliation again in a bit. But notice what the text tells us. He says, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh. The importance that he came and took the, the form of humanity, flesh. He lived. He dwelt. Can you imagine Jesus also, when he incarnated and was born, Born there in Bethlehem, he was a vulnerable baby. He also needed the affection and the love of parents, protection and care. Kind of like our kids, right? They're so young and little and helpless and vulnerable. Then they are teenagers and young adults and they say, we don't need you. You don't know what you're talking about. But yet, look what happened here flesh is death. this is very important in order to what does in order to present you mean is it now and then before god does it include the also the future the eschatological future that will be fulfilled when one appears before the righteous and holy god creator of all things there's a preparation that happens here. And, and again, not only does he use this in reference to God, but he also uses it later on in the verses as we just read to present you mature in Christ. There's a lot of presenting going on here. But notice this. He, Christ, in his reconciliation, presents us before God. It's important. Who's doing the reconciliation? And he, who's doing the presenting? And who are we being presented to? So if you look at this in slow lens, you come to find out you are presented before God holy and blameless and above reproach. What does holy mean? Holy here. It has the the meaning of being set apart. So just like my glasses and my iPad, these have been set apart for my exclusive use. You, my dear friends, in Christ have been set apart for God's exclusive purposes. Okay? So that's what he's saying. He said, you are holy. You are, you, you printed to, you are presented to God as holy, set apart, consecrated to God. But notice this, blameless. This is a beautiful word for us because many people will tell you, oh, you can't serve because, well, you're not too qualified. Huh? Or, oh, man, I want to serve God, but... Huh? I want to serve God. I want to be used of God, but... I'm not worthy enough. But... I I, I haven't gone to the... But... So we put all these excuses of buts. Too many buts. What is this text saying? What happens in reconciliation? This is a powerful thing for us as believers. Because Christ's work... Is Christ's work sufficient or not? That is the question here. So if Christ's work is sufficient... Then why are we tacking on so many do's and do's and do's on the list of sufficiency? Here, Paul is unpacking this for the church of Colossae, and he's telling them, hey, when Christ reconciled you to God, he made you holy. This is the Word of God, friends. This isn't Pastor Pablo. This, isn't the, this is the Word of God. He made you holy, he made you blameless. And then get a note of this. And above reproach before him. Boy, I love Romans 8.1. Why? Because therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no more condemnation. So why do we put so many obstacles? Yeah, I understand we have to discern, we have to weigh, but this is the work of Christ. Christ. What is the prerequisite to being part of the body of Christ? To confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. Oh, boy. And, and so, so he's unpacking this. Secondly here, or, or let, me, let me just jump at that word reconciliation, because I said this last week, right? Uh, uh, reconciliation is the restoration of harmony between two parties who have been at variance. I mean, in other words, Two parties who are indifferent. Why? Because God's a holy God. He's a righteous God. Right? And so, um, again, it, again, if you ever have an opportunity, the best definition I found for reconciliation was somebody wrote this, and I couldn't believe they wrote this, but, but basically they said, reconciliation involves the gathering of steadfast love and faithfulness but it also includes the kissing between righteousness and peace. Let me repeat that again. Somebody defined reconciliation involving the gathering of steadfast love and faithfulness, but it also includes the kissing between righteousness and peace. If you don't believe me, go to Psalm 85, verse 10. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. What a beautiful text, right? What a beautiful description of what reconciliation did for us in Christ. And so, reconciliation, my friends, my dear loved ones, is a central doctrine of Christianity. We hold it, we we believe it, and again. Uh, verse 23, it, it, it has a little bit, a, a little bit interesting there because it says. If you, if indeed you continue in the faith, but here, here, we're talking about something that God did. But now, conditional clause here. Indeed, is Paul suggesting that our work of salvation is, is lived out in by works? Well, you know, I I, I was I was uh, processing this, but then then it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Notice this, not shifting. From the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Again, he gives this cosmic implication of the work of Christ everywhere where people come and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not just exclusively in Clovis, California. So the work of the gospel is a global initiative happening in every tongue, every language, every, every place in the world. Even against those governments that try to impose no religion, the gospel is being expanded in those uh, places also. But when you consider the word, if you indeed this, this, this clause, this conditional clause, and you know what? Again, I think we need to be very careful not to read into the text something that it's not saying. This is a conditional clause, not one of basis. This isn't telling you, hey, you have to do this work in order to be saved. You are already saved in Christ, and because you are now saved in Christ, and because Christ has redeemed you and and, and and restored and justified you and sanctified you, you can now walk. You can now live, you can now move, you can now pursue those things that please God. So it's conditional. Upon our walk to keep growing, to keep maturing. When you look at the, the meta narrative of scriptures, it's not introducing you to something that isn't different. It's now telling you because of this living faith in you, because of the work of Christ in you, you can now live this way. Before you used to live for passions and evil deeds and hostility of your mind, now you can walk pleasing to God, holy blameless, and above reproach. That is a beautiful melody, especially around our Christmas season, and a constant reminder of what Jesus did for us. And he uses other words. Secondly, reconciliation is Christ, the mystery of God, our hope of glory, and those called to steward. You know what? In that reconciliation, Get a lot of this. Not only are our sins forgiven and, 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 and we have this peace and, and this security and this confidence to approach the throne of grace, but check this out. God provides for us stewards of his word to help us grow. How do I know that? Because this church is a very strong uh, 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 testimony to that. When you guys were through the transitional period, you guys had leadership, Namely, the elders that were leading on. Faithful men that were teaching and proclaiming God's word to you. Ministry didn't collapse. You didn't fold. You didn't close shop. You endured. Praising and worshiping Christ the Lord. And so we see this in, in verses 24 through two. To, through 28. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. Notice, we often hear this, this, this term, the flesh, and we think it's something very bad. That's Platonism, right? Material is evil. Spirit world is good. But notice what Paul says. He, he inserts himself. He injects himself in this text. He's now turning also from, from this redemptive work of Christ, and he pauses here and he inserts it and says, in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Did he actually just say that? Did he actually just say that, that something is lacking in Christ's work? What's lacking? Well, we, thank God we don't want to read this in plain English because we'll become heretics. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. There's nothing in Christ's work that's missing. It's all sufficient. So what does Paul mean that in his flesh, he is filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction? What does that mean? Well, you have to read the context and you have to read on. And what what does it say as he's reading on? For the sake of his body, the church. Now, let me tell you something that's huge in Christianity today in the 21st century. Nobody wants to suffer. How many of you guys come to church saying, okay, today I think I'm going to suffer for the Lord. How, How many of you wake up in the morning and say, okay, Lord, I'm putting on my suffering jacket. Bring it on. Nobody does that. But what is Paul saying that in my flesh, I am feeling what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, there's a couple of thoughts there. And and I kind of tend to side that, 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 hey, maybe there's a a hint of of suffering that the church will endure towards the latter days. Maybe that's a possibility. But I think here that there's a calling for all Christians that kind of Peter flushes out for us. Like, so Christ suffered, leaving for us an example for us to follow. So again, I'm not going to suggest that Christianity has to be a religion of suffering, because uh, that, that's not what I'm saying. But part of being a follower of Jesus is going to bring in your life some form of suffering. And some of us suffer very differently than others. Some literally suffer for the cause of the gospel. We call them, You usually call them missionaries. I had a friend that said, hey, all of us should be missionaries. We all should be missional. But if you, it, let's not go too far. Look what's happening in our society. There's a hostility growing between the government or politics or even movements within our community to what we would call biblical Christianity. In fact, you've probably heard the words if you watch, depending on the news station you watch. You're bigots, you're fanatics, you're, you're antiquated. You'll hear those things. And I'm not talking about being conservative. Forget all that. We're not, we're not about the elephant or the, or the donkey. Or the green people. Would you hear it? You 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 listen to the rumblings that are out there, and so and so he tells them in verse twenty-five of which I became a man according to the stewardship of God. Who does God call, and who does He place to lead His church? Do we pick those? Well, in one way we do, but who calls people out into leadership? Not the pastor. <laughs> that could be a very dangerous precedent if, 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 we're, if, it's, if it's left up to us. The church is a beautiful thing. Why? It's, it's an organic movement of those that God calls out from darkness to life. So then if it's God doing the calling, who calls out the leaders of the church? The G-man. <laughs> the G-man, right? So This is what Paul is saying. Hey, I am suffering. You know what? I, I told this to several guys here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you read that resume, you would not hire a person like that to church. The guy is a divider. The guy is a magnet of bad luck. And if you've never read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, his name was Paul. The same guy who wrote this, this, this letter that we're reading to the church of Colossae. So, you read that and you figure out that he's talking about this example that Christ left that should be our example and our desire too. So, if we're struggling physically, take joy. Take joy. If you're at the last stage of your life, take joy. If you're just starting off in life, take joy. Why? Because no matter what season or, of life you live in, or what language you speak, right? We've been called by one Father and the Lord. So that, that this is this is a, notice here again. This is so beautiful, my friends, because again, this is a crystal centric framework. Notice what I'm, I'm going to say here. I, bar- I borrowed this here from from David Powell, but but he uses this, this 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 terminology. Listen to this Christocentric or Christocentric framework. What does that mean? Well, we were just reading uh, Colossians verses 15 through 20. Very Christological. Christ is supreme, and He's preeminent. He's preeminent and supreme. Above all the created order, but he's also supreme and preeminent about uh, in death and resurrection. And get a load of this: Christ is also the sustainer of all things. That's what. That's what. The, notice this framework of 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 of, of, of uh, crystal centric uh, that that Paul is, is, is working there. So, what does that mean to us? What is he telling the uh, the, the believers in Colossae? There's two things. Okay, he's urge, urging them to stand firm. Okay, and, and we're going to get that, and, and we see that in the, in the letter. Pause for one minute, okay? And, and when you read these verses again, ask yourself, what is Paul saying, and what is he not saying? Okay, he's definitely not saying that something is lacking in Christ's redemptive work. His work is sufficient. That would be so anti-Bible, if that's what he was saying, which he's not. Because when you, when you read the whole, the whole unity of scriptures, it doesn't teach that. So what is Paul saying here? Well, I, I, here, here's a couple of things, but I think he's including and really encouraging the believers not to be afraid to suffer for the cause of Christ, regardless. That means when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there would be some people that will reject your faith. There are going to be people who's going to reject. In my Latino community, um, if you come from a Catholic background, you are shunned. You, 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 you've abandoned the family tradition to follow Jesus as an evangelical Christian. And so that, that, that's, that's kind of what he's unpacking for us here in this text. Finally, finally, this last part here. Reconciliation, um, its result is one of its end results in our lives should be this. Spur us on towards maturity. Okay, If you ask, what is the goal of every leader, pastor, elder, staff that works at at Clovis EV Free, this is our desire. It's not a hidden agenda. I I, I was with the young people on Friday night. This is something we want to do. We want to encourage our young people to follow Jesus. We want to provide a safe environment for them to do that. This is what Paul is telling them. He's spurring them on towards maturity, knowledge, wisdom, hope in God's mystery. What is the hope of God? What is God's mystery here? We just read it a few minutes ago. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But my friends, if I could summarize the rest of this, te- this sermon this way, we want to we wanna, we wanna love you, um, uh, in Jesus. We want to strengthen you in Jesus. And definitely, we want to introduce you to Jesus. This is what Paul is saying, all of us. So, so, for example, somebody once told me, hey, Pablo, you preach about the gospel all the time, and you're, you're a gospel preacher, man. I, I, I know. I said, thank you. Then he says, well, how does the gospel help me grow? I said, that's a great question. How does it not help you grow? is a better question. It's the gospel, my friends. That might sound very redundant. That might sound very basic. But you know what? If Christ is the center of our faith and our community and our ministry and what we talk about and how we act, we're going to save ourselves from a lot of headaches and bickering about traditions and what we do and what we don't do. I was, I was very interested in why did Paul mention the church of Lodicea here in, in, in these final verses? Why, why? What was so significant of the church in Lodicea? Well, you have to read. Most scholars would, would turn to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, next fall, uh, 2024, we're going we're gonna to kick off our fall series. We're going to do the seven churches of Revelation. I'm giving you way information way in, in advance here. But the church in Lodicea, what was wrong with the church in Lodicea? Mind you, Lodicea was also relatively close to Colossae. It was, it, was, it was east of there. But, but what, what was so significant? What, when you read Revelation, what was wrong with the church in Lodicea? Some people would call it, you know, um, uh, lukewarmness. Uh, and, but, but the descriptions there to, that the angels spoke to the church, like, dude, because you're neither cold or hot, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Those are strong words. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what, would, so what does that teach us about the influence and, and the heresies that we're entering into the church in Colossae? Well, my friends, I will tell you this. I'm not going to whitewash the gospel for you. And I, I'm not going to make it too difficult either and tell you, hey, if you're not suffering, you're not following Jesus. No, no, no. I, I mean, that, that, that there's going to be a, a form of suffering. Your suffering might look different from mine, might look different from the missionaries we support, but i do know this for a fact there is a war that we fight when we decide to follow jesus whether it's a mental a hard it, it might be techno i don't know what it is what you're, here's what i said spur on towards maturity in the gospel while you are facing your struggle and that's what paul is is, is saying. and this is why in verse 1 of for i want to know My dear friends, I want you to be aware. I want you to know. I want you to understand. What do I want you to understand? How great a struggle I have for you. I'm going to tell you, I think I mentioned this. I even posted this on Facebook one night. I can't sleep. It was one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night. I couldn't sleep. And then I put on this, this great song that I love, Crazy Love from Maverick City. And I was jamming on my headphones and I was just worshiping God there. Because I couldn't sleep. So then I just decided to pray for you. But you know what? My struggle looks very different from yours. You might be able to sleep through the night. God's not going to wake you up. And if he does, I pray he wakes you up at 1.30 in the morning when your sheets are hot too. Just kidding. Your struggle's going to look so different, my friend. But I want you to know, you're not the only one struggling. You're not the only one facing isolation, aloneness, anxiety, depression, the temptations that are out there. Do not believe the lie of the enemy. You're not the only one to struggle. Those who have been called out by God are targets of the devil. And so he tells them this. Even for those who have not seen me face to face, hey, you don't need to know somebody. Your life can impact all kinds of people. I didn't know how powerful social media was until one of my friends, uh, uh, one of my son's girlfriend said to me, you know what? Um, hey, Mr. Cachon, uh, I, I miss your post. I said, oh, yeah, you follow my post? She said, yeah, I actually read your post every day because you put these scriptures on, the, on, on social media. My friends, you never know how your life is going to impact your neighbor when you're out and when when you're tempted to have road rage like me. <laughs> you're driving and somebody cuts you out. Hey, come on, move it, move it! Like, uh, remember, your life will have a significant impact. And this is this is what Paul said. I want you to know, my friends, even those who haven't seen me. But what does he want them to know? Verse two that their hearts may be encouraged. You know what? I hope your heart is encouraged this Christmas season. You might be missing somebody so dear to you who's passed on. I hope your heart is encouraged. I hope within the congregation you find love. You find new family. When I look at um, all of you, I see my grandma who's no longer with me. I see my uncle who I've missed ever since he was a kid and ever since I was a kid. Uh, um, and, and he passed away at the age of 36 to alcohol. I see the little brothers and sisters that I never had. Right, Nathan? <laughs> You're all a family. And I, it, it is our desire that in Christ you would find that here. And so, so this is what it is. So not only that your hearts are being encouraged, But they're also knit together. That's a beautiful statement of the body of Christ. You know what? We're not perfect. In fact, there's probably bigger sinners in here, in in, in our church, than we would say even in the world. How so? Well, I would be chief among sinners. So how come you're preaching if you're the chief among sinners? That's what we call the love of God and his gift of salvation. Because I didn't, I didn't deserve it. There was nothing in me that, that really worked to get it. It was the work of Christ that I accepted and I confessed and I reached out. And I said, Lord, take it. Take me as I am. Here I am. So if you're waiting for life to be perfect, you're going to be waiting a long time. Let me tell you, just accept it confess it. Believe it in your heart. Let Jesus instruct you how to be a better husband and a wife and a parent to your children. Let Jesus teach you how to be a better grandparent. Let Jesus teach you how to be a better citizen. Let Jesus teach you how to be a zealous Christian who's a fanatic for Jesus Christ and can't stop talking about his goodness and his love for you. And don't stop loving the believers. That's why he says, knit each other in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Glory, hallelujah. It's not class 101, friends. It's not the women's or men's. But all of those are good. It is Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. Follow Jesus, my friends. Let him stir your life. Let him challenge you. You tell Jesus you have baggage. You tell Jesus you're sick. You tell Jesus your illness. Look out. He'll heal you. Huh? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then finally, in verse 3, it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures. Wow. Can you picture a treasure box? In Christ Jesus are hidden all the... See, something was happening in the church of Colossae. Perhaps maybe the philosophies. Uh, Gnosticism, the love of knowledge, the the epiphany of truth, right, will free you. And Paul's saying, you know what? No. You want to know the real Sophia, the real knowledge, the real philosophy? He wasn't saying philosophy was bad. You want to know the real philosophy that really will rattle your world? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, because this text really is very redundant, but very deep, mind you. And Lord, um, perhaps those watching online or anyone here is really asking the question, okay, what does this all add up to? Simple thing. You are the hope of glory as willed by God the Father for the restoration of our lives. Father, I would even go as far as saying you are supreme, you are preeminent. Not just above or as head of the church, but you are preeminent and supreme above all things created Visible and invisible. Domains, principalities, rulerships, authorities. Nothing, absolutely nothing is above you. And so, Lord, it is to you that we turn, confessing and believing in our hearts this great and powerful testament that we call the Bible, your love letter to to humankind in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is Him whom we invoke. It is Him, your name, the great I am, that we say, Lord, change our lives. Restore us, redeem us, reconcile us. Help us understand this crystal-centric framework within the Bible that we too can live lives under your lordship, for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.